Welcome to Your Health Guide, your how-to prescription for better health, translating cutting-edge research for your everyday life. Join naturopath and health educator Lawrence Katsaris for practical tips and insights to help you on your wellness journey. Hi again, I'm Lawrence Katsaris and this is Your Health Guide. Are you a man that suffers from low energy, low libido, poor memory or concentration, or even some mood disorders like anxiety, feeling a bit flat or even depressed? Have you perhaps been starting to put on some weight that's getting harder to shift? If you're relating to some of these symptoms and you're in your 30s or older, then this is a really important episode for you. I'm joined again by naturopath Nick Breen and we chat about how seven different factors of your health and how you live your life could impact your testosterone levels. It's a pretty detailed episode, but we keep trying to bring it back to the high level big points. But I know there's some detail in there that I think is really important for all of us men to understand so that we can see how interconnected the way that we live our lives, the diet that we eat, our general health, and how all of this can impact our testosterone levels and will influence our health and how we age as a man. So if you want to know how you can stay as fit and healthy as you age and be the best man you can be through your years, it's important to understand how these factors are influencing your own life and seeing how you can improve them. And why it's so important that if this is affecting your life, that you consult with a healthcare professional to be assessing and treating these to support your health as a man. I hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks for joining me again on the show, Nick. I'm glad to be back. Now, in the last episode, you started diving into some of the complex health issues that could start to decrease a man's testosterone level and I'd love to spend a lot of time discussing those and how we can identify their own issue and most importantly what we can be doing to correct that. So can you run us through what are those factors that will decrease testosterone in a man? Yeah so there's a few of them. Um, One of the main ones is insulin resistance that has been reliably shown to decrease testosterone levels and we think that's um, you know sort of due to the, the mitochondrial function of those Leydig cells that we spoke about in the first episode. All right, so there's a couple of big words in there. Can you, well, the Leydig cells you did explain to us being the cells within the testes that are producing testosterone and the mitochondria, they're the kind of energy cell, the energy powerhouse, the engine of the cell, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's the, yeah, like you said, a little battery pack uh, of the cell. And we sort of, you know, we think about them being in muscle cells, but every cell in our body needs these little battery packs functioning well to do its job. So those Leydig cells in our testicles, if their batteries aren't functioning well, they can't produce testosterone like they should. And you're saying that can happen from insulin resistance. Now, insulin resistance is where our body doesn't metabolise uh, glucose very effectively, right? And so this is the kind of the underlying process that occurs in type 2 diabetes or in diabetes, but we don't see that only present in type 2 diabetes. You start to see that in other conditions like uh, obesity. Um, can you walk us through and I guess just orientate our listeners to how how, they, how that might be affecting their health or what, what this process of insulin resistance is and what other uh, factors it's involved in in their generalised health? Yeah, okay. So if um, a prolonged excessive intake of, of glucose will lead to high levels of glucose in the blood and eventually your body loses the ability to, to regulate those levels um, with the hormone insulin as it normally would. Because insulin is the hormone that te- like takes glucose up into the cells. That's it? right. Yeah, it's like a, a signaling molecule to get the glucose taken up into the cells. So with high amounts of glucose always in the blood, you've always got high amounts of insulin trying to pack it away into cells, trying to get rid of it and utilise it. And then from 
constantly having all this insulin in the blood, the body starts to stop listening to it. That's it. Your cells just start going, you know, enough insulin, enough insulin. I'm, I'm tired of this signaling. So it starts to become less receptive to that signal it's getting from insulin. So you end up with sort of, you know, high levels of glucose in the blood. Sort of like being asked all those times to mow the lawn or fix the fence or do the jobs after a while. You just sort of start to shut it out. Is that what you're saying? That's it. Okay. That's it. And your wife needs to yell louder and louder to get the same amount of action. So right. it's the same with your cells. The insulin has to yell louder and louder get the same response out of the cell. Okay, and that process of that insulin having to yell louder and louder, actually part of that will start to cause low testosterone as well. Yeah, because those those Leydig cells, um, they're not responding to, to the insulin as they once did. So their mitochondria aren't getting the energy they need to function, and therefore we don't get the testosterone production that, that we're used to. So you, quite literally, you're just not getting enough raw material into the testes to produce enough of the testosterone in, in some ways. They just don't have enough energy to actually get the job done. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to think about it. They just don't have enough energy there to, to do their thing. Okay, yeah. now that's is that only going to be present in their testes? I'm assuming based off that as well, we know, and as you talked about in the previous episode, that'll be a symptom of low testosterone is that guy could just be feeling tired and sluggish and, and, and then he might even be having low mental energy, maybe presenting with sort of depression or poor cognition. And it's all the same. It's just different cells in the body responding to the same process in their own way, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. And we even see, I mean, one of the main places insulin resistance occurs is in your skeletal muscles. Um, mm. So that's sort of the first place it starts to occur. Uh, but yeah, this process happens all over your body and the different uh, symptomatic manifestations just depend on the function of those cells. Okay, so that, that's fantastic because that really gives us a nice tying into those signs and symptoms you were talking about earlier of lower testosterone. So insulin resistance is one of the factors that could affect our health and lower our testosterone. What are some of the others? Yeah, so inflammation is another big one. And we sort of touched on that last episode when we were talking about the cardiovascular um, effects. You were talking about low testosterone causes inflammation, but here you're saying inflammation could actually lower testosterone as well. Yeah, and so the way that happens, um, going back to our friend aromatase, inflammation will actually upregulate the amounts of aromatase in your cells. Um, interestingly enough, fat cells also carry a high amount of, of, of aromatase. So if you're obese or you're highly inflamed, you can have more of this aromatase converting more of your testosterone into estrogen lowering the amount of free estrogen interesting and then that inflammation uh, free testosterone, free testosterone yeah Sorry. definitely and interesting and that um inflammation that you talk about also interferes with the axis which is what you started talking about in the first part of our episode where that the axis between our brain and our testes that helps our testes produce testosterone if we're inflamed it will actually start to interfere with that communication channel therefore our testes aren't producing as much testosterone i'm correct right yeah so when we were talking about the hpg axis mm. the hypothalamus um, which is the brain part of that axis inflammation will actually generate inflammation within the hypothalamus which you know interferes with its ability to signal the pituitary gland properly and yeah it interferes with that whole hpg axis now, for the guys that are listening that mightn't really be able to tie what inflammation means in their own health, because like, a lot of us might think, oh, inflammation is if I've done a sporting injury or I'm, you know, I'm sore and aching joints. You're talking about inflammation beyond just that acute localised inflammation, aren't you? Yeah, so, I mean, inflammation's a natural bodily process and it's something that your body does to, you know, repair, repair damaged tissues or, or to ward off threats. Um, but what can happen is that we can sort of get in this low-grade chronic inflammatory state. We've just got like this smouldering inflammation happening all the time. Normally your body should switch off the inflammation once the injury's resolved or the pathogen's removed. 
Um, but in this case, that switch off doesn't happen and you just get this continued low-grade inflammation throughout the body. Probably because there's perpetuating factors in that. There's things that are constantly yes. just starting that fire, right? And I think you talked about this last episode as well about toxins. Like yeah. So depending upon how I'm living my life in terms of the foods that I'm eating or the toxic compounds that I'm exposed to maybe through my poor lifestyle choices, some of that could be contributing to my constant low-grade smouldering inflammation in the background. Yeah, definitely. So toxins are a, a big thing that will um, perpetuate chronic inflammation. Toxins also can affect our um, testosterone levels by interfering directly with our endocrine system. What's our endocrine system? Our hormonal system. Right, okay. Yeah. And so what, they'll just stop, toxins would literally just stop or in, inhibit our ability to manufacture testosterone? Yeah. Well, some, um, some chemicals in our environment, so things like BPA, um, which you may, which you'll find in a lot of plastics, mm-hmm. um, can actually mimic estrogen in the body. So it, it interacts with estrogen receptors in our body the same way normal estrogen would. So again, this is going to affect our overall hormonal uh, composition. Yeah. So BPA is a for those listening, BPA is a plasticizer that is found in a lot of plastics obviously it's bisphenol a is what it stands for and it's also found in a lot of other things as well like it's found in our till receipts it's also found in like the plastics lining our tins Um, it's also found in various products as well so that you're saying we're exposed to it everywhere and basically none of us are immune to it we're all we're exposed to high amounts of it that can actually change our hormone profile so some of those toxins could be causing inflammation some of those toxins could be directly interfering with our testosterone our reproductive systems and Mm -hmm. our testosterone manufacturer any other factors that are influencing our testosterone levels and decreasing them yeah so a basic one that we that we often overlook is nutritional deficiencies so two parts of that. First of all, are you getting enough um, enough of these crucial nutrients to support testosterone production through your diet? So those nutrients would include things like zinc, you know, vitamin D, protein, antioxidants. Mm-hmm. And the other part to that is, are we actually absorbing and utilizing these nutrients as we should? So your digestive health does play into this as well. And that digestive health, if it's dysfunctional, can also contribute to that low-grade constant inflammation you were talking about as well. Absolutely. So we know... Um, you know, this is probably going off on a bit of a tangent now, but we're hearing a lot about the microbiome or the, you know, the bacterial composition in your gut. And if that's out of whack because of a poor diet, then that can really drive systemic inflammation. Right. So if you've got gut symptoms, um, if you've got a poor diet, then that could be driving inflammation. That could actually then be worsening your testosterone levels. Yeah, absolutely. Mm, so it's all interconnected. Yeah. The other thing about nutrients is there are some things in our diet that are, are frankly, estrogenic. Um, so one that's not going to be uh, welcome news to anyone is beer. Uh-oh. Yeah, sorry about that. But um, the hops in beer is, is actually quite estrogenic, especially if you're drinking your beer out of a can that's lined with plastic because then you're getting your BPA and your hops. Aye, aye, aye. So it's but not going to make me a popular person. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we both still love our beer. But uh, this is real, isn't it? Like, and I, I think... You know, you often talk to guys and you know, kind of know about the estrogenic, like its effects of beer, but it has been found in studies that people consuming like regular intake of beer can affect their testosterone levels, kind of partially likely because of the mild estrogenic effects of the beer. And then as now you're talking about as well, potentially that beer could be affecting those microbes that live in their gut, affecting their gut health, which then triggers some inflammation in that individual. And that inflammation could then be further decreasing his testosterone levels. And 
as that beer requires detoxification and needs to you know have the liver deal with that that then puts another burden on the body which could then again contribute towards inflammation and then now i'm thinking of course the last one being that you've got a lot of sugar in your beer and that Mm -hmm. those sugars are contributing to that insulin resistance you started off talking about so not that we're trying to put anyone off beer but certainly it needs to be a considering factor about if we're having a poor diet and lifestyle which we could say excess alcohol fits into Mm -hmm. if that is in excess that could be contributing to someone's lower testosterone levels Mm. yeah absolutely so we start to sort of get this picture that everything's so intimately interconnected Um, you know and we are again really delicate and sensitive creatures and well, with that then, how do you start to assess that? And we've started to touch on some of this now, but how would you consider whether that's really a problem for someone and what might you start to do about it? So, for instance, let's start with the, probably the one that's on most of our minds is, okay, so I have a couple of beers on the weekend. You know, Is that seriously going to be a problem for me in lowering my testosterone levels? Like, When is it that you'd start to see symptoms or indicators in some of these areas that you've just talked about that you would think about having to address that in an individual. For instance, I'm assuming from what you just started before, if a man is overweight and he's got problems with his blood glucose levels, so if he's overweight and he's got diabetes, you're going to start to really suspect, hang on a second, testosterone might be really compromised in that guy. Mm-hmm. Are there other red flags when you would start to say, this is likely going to be really a problem in that guy? Yeah, so I mean... Overall, we're looking at a cumulative risk and symptom picture. Um, so if we see, you know, there's a number of things going on. He's highly inflamed, he's stressed, he's obese, and, you know, he has 10 beers a night. And we're also seeing a number of these symptoms that we correlate with low testosterone. That's, you know, that's probably a, a, a good clue that we should do some more clinical investigation into his testosterone levels. So if all the pieces of the puzzle start to line up, you start to really be thinking about it. And that just it reminded looks like me... A duck. Yeah, if it looks like a duck, then it's most likely a duck, right? So it looks and sounds like a duck. So with that, I just thought probably just the important reminder about age is what we were talking about a lot about last episode. So if you've got a guy who's in his you know mid-40s and he's got some of those symptoms just the sheer fact of being over 40s already puts you in a bit of a risk factor. And then if you've got a couple of these other areas, then be starting to consider it. Yeah, because you know it's only going to get worse over time. Mm. You know, mm. your testosterone levels are never going to naturally just start going up again uh, once you pass 40. So right. any of these factors that we can mitigate to sort of slow down that decline um, is going to be really beneficial for the for our, um, our health as we age. So what are those... That's like what are those factors that you can start to do to improve if there are issues there or what's some ways that you can intervene to offset some of those contributing factors of lower testosterone? All right, so well, look, we might go through those one at a time. That'd be great, yeah. That's all right. So let's start with the insulin resistance. Um, so, I mean, the biggest thing we can do for um, stopping insulin resistance is to have a diet that's low in refined carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. Um, excuse me, particularly, um, you know, refined sugar, refined flour. We also want to be uh, making sure our overall caloric intake isn't too high. And so with those refined sugars and like what's particular foods to to make it easy for the listeners that they'd be thinking they're probably foods they should be avoiding? White flour, white sugar. Right, so like your pastas, your sugared processed foods, packaged foods, and, you know, chips, pies, baked goods, that sort of stuff. Anything that you can't identify as a natural food. Right. Effectively, if you've if it's come off an animal or off a plant, and you can identify it as such, then it's probably going to be okay. But if it comes in a packet and it's you know 
largely white in colour, you can't identify it as a food, it's probably problematic. Yeah, okay. keep that stuff to a minimum. Okay. Um, and then be keeping that calorie consumption down to be making sure we're not having like, you know, more moderate based portions, not huge based portions six times a day, looking at what snacks we're consuming so that, you know, if we're on a job site or, you know, at Smoko and afternoon tea or whatever, if we're consuming some of those refined sugars and carbohydrates that you're talking about, or if we're just constantly eating large amounts. So um, I like the Japanese saying, hari hachibu, which means eat till you're 80% full. Right. Um, and I think if we can employ that, um, you know, that we just eat each meal to 80% full, that's a, that's a good guide for portion control. The other thing that's probably worth mentioning, though, is that so many people are getting um, so much sugar from the drinks that they drink. You know, so if you're, like you said, back to the job site example, if you're downing even something you might think's healthy, like a Gatorade, you know, if you're downing a litre of Gatorade a day, that's that's a lot of sugar. Yeah, really um, good point. So really important to, to look at your, your liquid sugars as well. Yeah, nice one. Thank you. Um, so in terms of the insulin resistance, really looking at the diet, first place to be starting, mm -hmm. and then I'm sure probably exercise is a component yeah. of that. Yeah, so exercise is going to help us mitigate a lot of these risk factors. Um, as we know, exercise is great for uh, stress control, also really important for insulin resistance. So we touched on the fact before that your muscles are one of the first places to become insulin resistant. Insulin resistant. So if we can exercise these muscles and teach them to use insulin, um, and require more insulin because they're burning more energy, then will help improve our insulin resistance. And that's particularly important, uh, particularly applied to the big muscles in your legs. So, you know, the, the thighs and the glutes and, and those muscles that are going to sink a lot of insulin into them. It's fascinating, isn't it? Because those muscles, when we start to exercise, even in that person who's insulin resistant, so the guy who's overweight and he's insulin resistant, and you're saying that that's because the body's almost switched off and not listening to insulin anymore, those muscles, when he's exercising, will actually start to listen to insulin because they're so big that they need to funnel glucose into them. So by exercising and exercising those leg muscles, you're starting to really use the glucose in the body and improve his insulin sensitivity. Mm -hmm. So it comes back, don't skip leg day. Exactly, never skip leg day. And beyond that, you know, beyond just the effects on insulin, we know that working these muscles here um, with resistance training, particularly if you're doing really heavy weights, actually increases your levels of testosterone outright, you know, independent of the insulin effects. So, a, a, you know, both dual effects there. Absolutely. Perfect. So making yeah. sure exercise, so and as you said, exercise is a critical component. So irrespective of where the contributing factor to his low testosterone is exercise is something that you're always looking at um, improving in men and so you're starting to talk about making sure you're using the leg muscles so is running going to be fine or are you looking at more resistance weight training yeah so i mean running can be okay but we're not necessarily talking you know half marathons on a on a two two weekly basis um resistance exercise has definitely been shown heavy heavy weights um and sprints yeah or, or h um so HIIT training, so that high intensity interval training where you're looking at sprints. So you might often get someone to be doing like the good old beep test um, where you're doing sort of 20 minute, 20 meter sprints or even, you know, some people might do 50 meter sprints and then you might do 10 of those. Yeah, or stair sprints. Or, or stair sprints and hill runs. I mean, that those sort of exercises, I mean, ideally, yeah, that's what you want. But for a guy that's actually pretty obese, um, that could be difficult. Mm -hmm. So I would, for those sort of bigger guys who are having trouble with that, I would suggest maybe just starting with a bike, yep. an exercise bike, but again, doing that high-intensity 
you know, two minutes on, one minute off. Yeah, or 30 seconds on and 10 seconds off sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. perfect. And then weight training as well. Like there's studies that show that with an increase in resistance training, you start to see an increase in testosterone levels. So looking at things like squats and lunges to use those big muscle groups, mm-hmm. but also just resistance training as well. By building up the muscle, we also then start to improve our health of our testosterone, level, um, testosterone levels as well. Yeah. Okay, so I guess we're starting to combine obesity and insulin resistance there. Is that probably fair to say that your treatments for dealing with obesity and your treatments for dealing with insulin resistance and how they contribute to low testosterone are pretty similar? Yeah, absolutely. Um, The other thing I believe you were talking about was inflammation. Mm. So I guess you start dealing with, you know, what the driving factor of, you know, where the inflammation is coming from. Yeah, so ultimately that's that's how you're going to stop that chronic inflammation. So, you know, is there dysbiosis, or sorry, is there an imbalance in the microbes in their gut that's causing that inflammation? Um, you know, do they have a, a constant niggling injury that's causing it? Do they, yeah, so ultimately you want to address the drivers, but there are, you know, certain um, therapeutic substances you can use to dampen down that inflammation while you're addressing the drivers. So things like turmeric, for example, um, you know, uh, your omega-3s, your fish oils, they can all be really helpful in, in blunting that um, inflammation while you get on top of the drivers. Okay, and with those gut-based sort of profiles that you were talking mm-hmm. about with this change in the gut bacteria, so if I'm eating a diet and I'm getting symptoms such as, you know, bloating or excess gas or belching um, or I guess any intolerances to foods that I may be noticing don't, don't sort of sit well with me, um, if I am taking medications such as antibiotics or if I'm taking a proton pump inhibitor or an antacid for some reflux, that's going to affect the health of that that gut and that's going to then contribute towards that inflammation process. Is there anything else that I'm missing in there? Um, No, I mean, those are the the major things that are going to affect the gut health. But when we're looking at dealing with gut health specifically, that's when we probably want to be introducing some probiotics. Um, You know, specific strains of probiotics that can go in reduce that inflammatory picture and help alter the composition, help alter the function of of that microbiome to a a less inflammatory state. Okay, so considering what could be driving that inflammation, it could be coming from the gut. If I'm eating the wrong foods, take the wrong medications, if I've got any gut symptoms, be thinking about that. Mm -hmm. And that's where speaking to your practitioner, they can really start to identify what is it that you're doing that's contributing to any of these inflammatory profiles. It's kind of a little bit of a a harder thing for us to see ourselves it's where you need the practitioner to try and be able to diagnose that for you yeah i think that's a really important point because there are so many different um, possible causes of inflammation if the help of a professional is probably pretty necessary in that instance okay and toxins is probably pretty similar as well there and i've talked Mm -hmm. in a previous podcast series with naturopath Claire Murray about the importance of doing a detox and how we can do that and and how a practitioner can help you with that. You were talking about toxins, so I'm assuming that's going to be, and I guess I know that that's part about the solution for dealing with those toxins is Mm -hmm. to support the body's ability to to clear those toxins out. Mm -hmm. But specifically, is there any kind of points that you wanted to make about those toxins and their treatment? Look, no, I did hear that podcast that you guys did, and that was really comprehensive. Um, but I would, I guess, just at, at a baseline, we just want guys to start being aware of these chemicals in their environment and just, you know, being conscious of the plastics that they're using um, in their day-to-day lives. You know, maybe having a look at the um, any cosmetic products or cleaning products they might be using um, and just doing a, you know, a general audit of their, of their environment and 
identify where these chemicals might be coming from. Which for us as men can come from some like pretty obvious areas. I mean, you've talked about plastics, but it might also be through our diet and lifestyle as well. Like it could be through, as it can be for all of us, it could be through, you know, as you've talked about already, maybe excess alcohol consumption, could also be from smoking, mm-hmm. could be from environmental uh, occupational exposure. So if That's we're a good one, yeah. Yeah, mine sites or... Painters. Painters, yeah, exactly. So we could just be thinking about what's going on in our environment in our work and our home and we talked a lot about that home aspect and some of the environment the work environment in the series with Claire Um, but I think that you've raised a really good point there and again this kind of ties back to what we were just saying speaking with a practitioner who can start to identify that because we mightn't even necessarily know it we wouldn't necessarily think that living on a main road could actually be exposed us to high amounts of some heavy metals, which mm-hmm. then could be affecting our testosterone levels. And it can, you know, it can be complicated, as as you did discuss in that podcast. You know, there's different strategies for dis, uh, detoxifying different types of chemicals and, and heavy metals. So again, you really want to be dealing with a, a healthcare professional if we're doing a detox. Yeah, fantastic. Um, were there other other drivers that could be lowering his testosterone levels that you can be looking at identifying with treatment techniques? Yeah, stress is a huge one. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's a bit of a throwaway line for people that, you know, stress is bad for you. But in this case, st- stress is a major factor that will reduce your testosterone. And clinically, it's something that I see, you know, all the time. It's a, it's a huge factor, isn't it? Like, Absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of us should probably even be f- feeling that. Like, you'll notice drop-offs in libido. You'll notice drop-offs in energy levels when we're under stress. Mm-hmm. And then that stress also feeds into a couple other things, such as that stress could maybe change our dietary habits. So that stress yes. could also change the, the way that we can utilise glucose as it's well. It's also inflammatory. And it's also inflammatory. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Stress specifically is a problem because it works through some of those other channels in causing problems in our health and directly it's affecting that axis of the brain and the testes, isn't it? Yeah, so I mean all our, um, all our hormones, whether they be our sexual hormones or our stress hormones, so things like adrenaline, are produced from uh, cholesterol. So if our cholesterol is being diverted towards the stress hormones, there's less left for our body to convert to testosterone. So that's just, you know, speaking roughly is the way that stress sort of steals the cholesterol. Right, so it's almost like you're looking at your funding. If you've got your finances and everything's going in towards a mortgage, you don't necessarily have a lot of money left to play for, for going on holiday or, you know, doing some other things with that money. You've just got a certain reservoir of this resource, which you're saying is, is coming from those hormones there. And then it's also then changing the signalling from that hypothalamic pituitary and gonadal axis and then so directly affecting the testes even if there is enough raw material and resources it's affecting the communication getting to the testes to tell it to produce more testosterone yes and we can see those studies on like really acute effects and even start to see things such as lowered sleep hours affecting um, our testosterone levels and where you start to even within a week if you've got less sleep hours you know a couple of hours less sleep um, they think the study was looking at sort of five hours of sleep a night and they start to see significant reductions in his testosterone levels the other thing stress does is and I don't think we've spoken about this one yet but also increases the levels of um, sex hormone binding globulin so that's a, a, a protein in our blood that carries sex hormones around our body um, and then releases them when it gets to the cell. So when you're stressed, the levels of that increase. Now, when testosterone's bound to SHBG, it's not active. 
So if stress is increasing the levels of that SHBG, our levels of free or active testosterone drop. And we don't have enough actual testosterone to produce the actions in the rest of our body. Yeah, so even well, though we might be making it. There, it's just... Yeah, yeah, it's there, So, but it's just not acting. No. Yeah. Mm. yeah, so there you've got three really clear ways that stress reduces your ability to produce testosterone. Yeah, wow. Okay, so that starts to give us a good walkthrough of how some of those factors are affecting our testosterone levels. Is there any, I think that was all of them, is there any I was missing there? No, that was all of them, but I, with the stress, I just wanted to mention there's a few a few things we can do to sort yeah, of help great. with that. Sorry, I forgot to get into that part of it. Um, obviously, regulating our sleep, things like mindfulness, um, you know, to, taking time out to do enjoyable things is all really important. But we can also get really good results using um, adaptogenic type herbs. So herbs that help support our stress response. Mm -hmm. In particular, um, herbs like withania, uh, which is an, an Indian... Uh, it's Indian, Indian ginseng, ginseng. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but all your ginsengs actually uh, have, have good benefits in terms of helping with this stress response. And there is nice evidence showing that withania uh, does help to increase testosterone production. Right, that's a really good point because that's exactly where I wanted to go to next is there's a couple of other things that outside of dealing with the causes of lowering testosterone levels in him, there's some things that I know that you like to use that can boost his testosterone levels. So you've talked about withania and you've talked about the importance of specific nutrients earlier. So you mentioned zinc, you mentioned antioxidants, you mentioned vitamin D, um, protein. Uh, what other ingredients might you commonly look at that can support his testosterone production? Yeah, so essential fatty acids okay. are another one. Um, you know, getting those good fats into you because they're, they're your building blocks. So they're coming from fish. They're coming from, I mean, where else do you Yeah, fish, olive oil, avocados, nuts and seeds. Is it enough to be getting it from the diet or do you often look at supplementation with it? Um, so, I mean, it is possible to get them from the diet, but the reality is most people aren't. Um, so I would suggest that for the majority of particularly men, unfortunately, in our society, some sort of supplementation of essential fatty acids is going to be beneficial. Because to be getting those therapeutic doses to actually make a difference, we need to be having like a lot. Like we've got to be having a decent steak of fish every day and be having some avocado. And so it's just easier to be looking at, easier and more guaranteed effect to be looking at good quality um, fish oil supplementation. And I emphasize good quality because part of the problem from getting it through fish is that it might be high in contaminants because it's the big deep sea fish that are higher in that essential fatty acids and that fish oil and then they also tend to be high in other problems such as heavy metals and yes. then that if we're using cheap quality fish oil that cheap quality fish oil may be high in contaminants such as the heavy metals that were found in that fish as well yeah, which is then counterproductive totally because then that's driving your inflammation and your whole toxic Correct. situation well and okay. the other thing is that fish oils are anti-inflammatory um, in and of themselves but it kind of operates in a ratio. You know, you've got your omega-6, which is found more in, you know, your red meats and, and bad fats, mm -hmm. um, and that's inflammatory. So even if you are getting enough of that omega-3 in your diet, if you're consuming huge amounts of omega-6, the ratios may be imbalanced, and you may still be getting a net inflammatory response. Right, so the importance about good quality nutrients, making sure you're taking them at a decent dose, and coming back to that aspects of how important it is to get a good, healthy diet. And I maybe mean, now's a good time to talk about that. You talked about a particular diet low in refined carbohydrates and sugars if we suffer with obesity and problems with our glucose control. Mm -hmm. 
but a healthy diet has been shown to also boost testosterone levels. And I've seen those studies that look at the Mediterranean diet, where you're looking at good amounts of plant-based foods, good amounts of lean protein, and that can actually help increase their testosterone, which is what you were recommending for the person who suffered with obesity or insulin and blood glucose problems. But across the board for men, that's a great diet to be looking at with going with. If you can't recognize it as a food, then don't potentially... Be, you know, be limiting it and avoiding it. Be looking at your plant-based fruits and vegetables and your meat protein. That's a good general diet to be looking at boosting everyone's testosterone levels. And the nice thing about the Mediterranean diet is it's really achievable yeah. for most people. You know, you can still have uh, delicious, satisfying meals and it's, it's quite easy to do. Yeah, which is a good point because if you can't stick to the diet, we, we know we're not going to stay on it. Particularly men. Yeah. You know, and particularly, uh, you know, I don't want to stereotype here, but particularly single men. You know, if you're living by yourself, it's really hard to get motivated sometimes to, you know, organise fresh, healthy meals for yourself. Yeah, you're not necessarily going to be doing some major gourmet options, but it is very easy to be doing some simple meat and vegetables, meat and salads. Yeah, Yeah. and you're still, you know, varying those up, those vegetables, and you're still getting a good, healthy meal there. So you're talking about getting enough... Uh, essential fatty acids or fish oils in so supplementation for that you've talked about zinc talked about antioxidants which we'll also be getting when we're eating some of those those vegetables Mm -hmm. Um, vitamin c comes in there as well which has been shown to increase sperm health and also play a role in testosterone and vitamin c is an antioxidant other antioxidants are things in our diet such as our berries as well Um, green tea contains antioxidant properties any other main antioxidants that you like to work with supplementation or diet yeah so supplementation wise i really like coq10 ah of course um and uh, alpha lipoic acid as well as another nice one yeah um yeah so i'd use them quite frequently when we're looking at, at sperm and male health in general um, the other one that's good, and it's not so much through its antioxidant effect, but tribulus is uh, one that's sort of quite well known. So tribulus is a herb? Yes, yes, yes. So um, it's been traditionally used to support libido um, and sexual function. There is some reasonable evidence in rat studies that would back that, but I know that you know, in my clients, it's not necessarily that you're going to see a frank rise in serum testosterone, but you're definitely going to see improvements um, in that mental aspect of sexual desire and um, you know, libido, that sort of thing. And I also see energy as well. Like they kind of Definitely. Men feel like they've got a little bit more vitality, yeah. which is tying back to what you were talking about in the previous episode of saying some of those are kind of cardinal symptoms around lower testosterone, and it may not always correlate with low testosterone. Sometimes you might see those symptoms in moderate testosterone levels, but they kind of perhaps more appropriately correlate with that andropause symptoms. And so when we start to see changes in that sexual desire, and changes in that vitality and energy, we start to get a little bit concerned about where his testosterone function and health is in general. Correct. Yeah. Okay, so tribulus, we've talked about withania as two herbs that are fantastic for improving testosterone levels. You've talked about some nutrients in there, CoQ10 and lipoic acid, brilliant, and vitamin C and vitamin D you've touched on and zinc, mm-hmm. um, and the importance of making sure he's eating a good diet, like a Mediterranean-style diet, and looking at exercise there, leg-based exercise, and so that we can support his overall health, but also to help raise that testosterone production. Then outside of that, considering whether some of those factors and I guess explaining how some of those factors such as not only just age but obesity and how poor glycemic control or poor glucose control in our body, inflammation, toxin exposure and stress all collectively can reduce or contribute to reducing his lower testosterone levels, Nick. And I think that points out, I guess, the 
the complexity of it, but also p- provides us with some really nice tangible indications that we can see as men about how some of the things we might be doing in our life or some of the things that might be going on in our health are contributing towards our lower testosterone levels. And combined with what you ran us through in the last episode, really explains to us how that lower testosterone levels might be contributing towards my generalized health symptoms that I mightn't even recognize as being as lower testosterone, but by seeing a practitioner, they can start to see things like lowered energy, um, lowered libido, um, mood disorders, for instance, uh, problems with our body composition or tendency towards like high blood pressure or type 2 diabetes and how the practitioner can start to recognize and then investigate that lower testosterone because it is a serious consideration for a lot of us men and not just men as we start to get in our older decades but men even from late 20s and even 30s on now so that's been a fantastic synopsis of exactly what's going on and the complexity of testosterone levels in men and how critical it is to support us and why working with a practitioner that can identify and walk us through treating those particular areas of our health can allow men to achieve perhaps health that's they haven't felt for many decades mm. and certainly get them feeling um, as healthy as they as they should be. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's um, it's very tempting for a lot of men just to think, oh, my testosterone's low. I need to do something to boost that, and everything's going to be okay. But as I hope you know, the listeners have seen, it's a very complex process that's regulated and dependent on a whole whole heap of factors so really um, working with a practitioner to address each of those factors is going to get you the best long-lasting results in terms of you know your testosterone levels but your overall health and your ability to age well you know into your 80s and 90s yeah fantastic well thank you so much for explaining that to us nick it's my pleasure thanks for having me thanks for listening to your health guide any resources or links discussed in the episode can be found at metagenics.com.au To help you continue on your health journey, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And if you found this episode useful, please rate and review us. If you have any questions about how this information could relate to your health condition, please go and speak to your natural healthcare practitioner who can provide you with specific advice for your health needs.